We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. Coming to you after the first day of Giants training camp. They went right into this thing at practice. They focused on the red zone drills, a ton of red zone work. Shorts and shells, please keep that in mind. I don't really make anything of defensive line. I don't really make anything of offensive line. But there is some stuff to glean from the red zone work because there's different formations, there's different play calls, motion that we're going to get to, plays that were made on the football within the red zone drills that can secede, you know, that can move past the fact that they're in shorts and shells. Like catching the football, throwing the football, those things are kind of irrelevant as far as whether you're in the shorts and shells to some extent, not fully, obviously. But a lot of plays were made that we want to talk about today. Where do you want to start with this practice, Nick? Okay, we're seeing a modern offense here, Dan. How exciting is that? I mean, we got to see, like you said, all that pre-snap motion that gets, you know, the blood going a little bit, gets you excited. I think one of the cooler things we saw, just because we've talked about it so much on the podcast, was a touchdown pass to Saquon Barkley on a type of replacement follow concept where you had Daniel Bellinger running a corner route and then a Kenny Galladay running a drag, and then you had out of the backfield motioning from the right to Daniel Jones to the left to Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley leaking over the middle of the field, an arrow route Texas type of concept to replace Kenny Galladay. So essentially what's going to happen if the defense is in zone coverage, they're going to have that middle hook zone defender who's going to go with Kenny Galladay, and then you have Saquon Barkley coming tight right behind Galladay, and in essence, it's going to make it hard for that one defender to guard both of those players. He's going to have to make a decision in that certain spot. And also, arrow concepts are excellent against man coverage. So we got to see a little bit of that. It ends up going for a touchdown. Maybe it wouldn't have because Kayvon Thibodeau could have killed Daniel Jones if he did not have a red jersey on and this was, you know, full bullets flying. But still, you'll love to see just those little tidbits of a modern offense that are going to get us excited. Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, give us more of this. 
yeah, this was a really good play to focus on and to start with, I think, because one, it gets to the core of what me and Nick have been asking for for what feels like at this point 36 months, however long we've been doing this, even dating back past that. Use Saquon Barkley on these choice routes, on these options, on these texts, whatever you want to call it, these angle routes out of the backfield. And what I really liked about the way they did this is what you said. It puts that defender in conflict, one. Two, it's not just, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley lines up out of the slot to start. You start him in motion out of the backfield. You make it so it's like, A, by putting him in motion, you can diagnose, like you said, Nick, if the defense is in zone or man coverage. Now you know you're facing man coverage, and you use an angle route, which is like a perfect man beater right there. So everything works in flow in this play. You use the motion to diagnose the coverage. You have, like you said, the replacement route to put the defenders in conflict. And then you pick the right route to go against that coverage. And that's just easy money, man. That's three things working in your favor as a, from a play call standpoint. You're not asking much from the quarterback or the receiver there. Saquon Barkley is going to win on that angle route against whoever that defender is. Daniel Jones is able to put the ball on time and in the right spot on a route like that. It's not a hard throw to make by any means. And it's not a hard catch for Saquon Barkley to make either. Not to say they can't compete and make those hard throws or hard catches. But you're asking them not to do that. You're asking them to do the easy thing here. And that's all we want from an offense. Find easy solutions. Ask your players to make easy solutions. And that was what the case, you know, that was the case on this touchdown route in the, in the red zone of Saquon Barkley. Really feels good to see him in motion. Really feels good to see him utilize on those routes we've been calling for. And like you said, the kind of the elephant in the room here is that Kayvon Thibodeau displayed his trademark get off of line of scrimmage on this play. Like he ripped through that, that backfield and it probably would have been a sack. I don't know if Daniel Jones could have got that off. I think he would have tried to, gotten hit, and made the throw. And I think it's an easy enough throw that it probably gets there. Maybe it requires Saquon Barkley to adjust the ball, catch it, kind of stop his feet, and then lose his momentum, and it turns into just a completion. I don't know. Is Kayvon Thibodeau can flying off there? Obviously, they're in shorts and shells. There's not really anything going on with those edges versus the offensive tackles, with the exception of, look, the offensive tackles are still asked to get into some sets, and the... (laughs) The edges are still asked to jump off, you know, to, to explode off the snap. But like you said, man, it's just such an easy, fun, correct way to play the cold play in the red zone. There was a lot of that from what I saw, a ton of motion. The next thing I want to get to here is... It also, just yeah, on that ahead. play, just because I want to touch on that play one more time, it looks like it's man covered to that side of the field, and the Giants might have brought a simulated pressure where they dropped the the camera side of of this play if you watch it on twitter the camera side of this play that end man alana scrimmage dropped into like an underneath zone it looked like a little bit but if you look at the top of the screen you'll see daniel bellinger running that corner route this guy just came off the pup and he was open on that play man the way he kind of flattens out of his break it creates this separation against that safety it looks like it's julian love but if daniel jones wanted to throw a touchdown pass to Daniel Bellinger, I think he had him open there. So that's just another little thing that I that I liked. And again, I'm not going to overreact here. This is freaking the first day of training camp. They're not hitting all of this. But still, little things like this you like to see. No, you definitely like to see that because one, those corner routes, in my opinion, are have to be, we'll get to one later because there was a really nice throw and catch on a corner route in the red zone to Wondell Robinson. But that has to also be incorporated. I see all of the best offenses using that. Instead of, you know, what Garrett tried to kind of core foundation red zone play was like the st- the stop end zone fade type stuff. Don't, I mean, I know they tried that today and we're going to get to that. It was a really nice play on the ball. It was a good throw and a good catch, but don't go crazy with those because there are definitely other ways to win the red zone. Like you said, on a play like this, you have one, maybe two guys open. And speaking of Daniel Bellinger, let's just say this last episode, we didn't know what was going on. And, and you know, I still stand by, you're asking a lot of a rookie fourth round pick who didn't play power five, but man, 
this is truly a steady drumbeat type of, type of situation. So I might have to change my opinion real fast on this one, Vic, because he came into OTAs, surprised everyone by getting first team reps. Now comes off the pub immediately and gets first team reps immediately. Like that's a big time deal. And like you said, flattened the route out nice, got created separation, would have been open for a potential touchdown. I mean, look, he's drawing first team reps, the first practice of OTAs, and he's getting open in the red zone. That's steady drumbeat if I ever heard one. And if that continues, I take back everything I said. This kid just might be different. He might be able to make the jump from fourth round pick out of a small school, not playing power five guys to in the NFL. That doesn't mean right away he's going to be effective. I don't want to say that. But effective enough to start, effective enough to be some kind of weapon in the red zone, maybe. And that's a really good sign as well coming from that play too. So definitely something I like to see as well, Nick. I want to get to a few other things that we saw in this practice. First, before practice, the Giants signed Garrett McGinn and cut Kamal Seymour. Just like what we talked about yesterday, they're really grinding that waiver wire. It's just going to be consistent churn grind type action. We're going to have a lot of this news. I know you know it doesn't stand out to too many people. Certainly not to me. I'm not sure either of these guys are going to make the roster anyway. But they'll find something at some point, I think. It's an interesting way to go about it. Um, any thoughts on that before we get to some more things from practice? I just like the fact that they're bringing in these guys who are likely not going to make the team. They could possibly be just veterans that the Giants got to look at. Now they kind of know the Giants system. So if the Giants unfortunately suffer injuries during the season, you can call on these guys, bring them in, and then they can add depth to the guys who will eventually replace the dudes who are injured. So that's like the one thing I read into this. So I I don't think McGinn's going to make the team in a very, very deep offensive line room. This guy was playing for the, the New Jersey Generals at the USFL a couple months ago. Yeah, so it's a tough jump for him, for sure. Even tougher than the non-Power 5 jump. Let's talk about a few other things before we get to the practice notes, a few other non-practice-related things I'm saying. Joe Shane, before the practice, talked a little bit, said they're interview- they interviewed already three to four candidates for director of college scouting. That's a big position, so it's important. But he said they're not going to fill it this year. He said this year, Dennis Hickey, the new assistant director of player personnel, will handle those duties, and Shane will reassess next offseason. So it feels like he needs more time there, Shane. He came in late, obviously. Not late, but this is just how the process works for any new GM. They want to get their guys in place. They want to get a college, uh, you know, a director of college scouting. They want to get new scouts in, but you can't just do it right away. And so I think they will actually hire someone maybe this later this, this season. Maybe it's like a December move we hear about. And that guy will, will not probably play a big role in this coming draft class, but maybe the next one. He also said like Brandon Brown's going to help yep. out. He named a couple different names of people who will kind of fill the shoes of that role. So, you know, maybe they'll find one of those guys and like him in that and then fill the other position. But either way, I, I wouldn't want wouldn't want Shane to kind of bring somebody in who he's not, you know, 100% invested in. 100% with you on that one. Dave said there's going to be a lot of give and take as far as coaches getting reps for the players and then the medical staff giving input as to when they need to pull back. That's pretty interesting because it's a little bit different than what they've been doing, I think. In, in what way? Just in the sense that they're going to probably rely a little bit more on the players, what they're telling them and what they're mm-hmm. saying, and the coaches. In the past, I feel like it's been a lot of just, oh, the medical staff is telling you this, that's it. That's the bottom line, going by what the medical staff says. Now it feels like, it, as, at least based on what he said, the give and take, it's like, Players feel like they can go out there and practice a little more, play a little more, go into this preseason game, whatever it may be. The coaches feel that way too. Maybe they, you know, supersede some of the things the medical staff is saying. Yeah, I think it's probably more dependent on injuries, and I'm sure you would agree, injuries that are just not serious ones whatsoever. 
you know, it's going to be those ones where it's like, ah, I feel a little funky today, but there's no like true strain of the muscle or something like that. Yeah. Anytime you have those, those soft tissue issues, like a hamstring, you just should be cautious. Like it doesn't, it doesn't pay to rush back from those things. They really, really need to be just don't feel a thing when you go back into action. If you feel anything, you compensate, you get the compensation injury or you re-injure that. And then it's even worse because it's going to take so long to get back from. A few other non-practice related notes from the pre-practice portion. Um, Joe Shane said it's possible they might do some restructures to free up cap space. They're just under, they have just under 5 million cap space currently. That intrigues me because it wasn't directly related to this, but it could lead to the potential signing of an Eric Ebron. It could lead to that. And it was based off, I can't remember the beat reporter who, who asked the question, but they were basically asking what is their plan if they have to add guys. And Shane was just kind of exploring. He just kept the option open. I don't, I don't know how much Shane will actually go down that avenue. He said, you know, we would have to evaluate everything this year, next year, through every single lens, essentially, which, you know, makes sense. You want to be very comprehensive with every decision you're going to make. I think eventually, you know, with injuries, and Shane pointed this out in the press conference, you might have to make these kind of tough decisions. I'm just curious as to who they would restructure. That's the thing. There really isn't many, there aren't many options on this current roster for restructure. Now that they've already done, you know, a Dory, I mean, you could potentially look to restructure a Leonard Williams. That would be pretty devastating to me. I just, he already has so much cap space allocated to him in the coming years of his deal, like just enough with that. Like you can't, we're, we're already paying him close to Aaron Donald money. Just can't give him, it can't, you just can't do it. You just, you can't do it with a player like this. He's a great player. I love Leonard Williams. He's, if they lost him, that to me is maybe the biggest impact outside of a Dory Jackson and Blake Martinez on this defense. But ultimately he's not making Aaron Donald level impact in the past game. So I, I just don't want them to, to restructure that one personally. We'll see what happens there. I don't think they need to do it right now. Anyway, Dave's also said, Sterling Shepard, Achilles rehab. Man, these these athletes, man, with these Achilles injuries now, they're coming back faster and sooner than ever. James Robinson of the Jaguars, he came back and he's not even on the pup list for camp. Like he's gonna It's crazy. It's crazy. Like and Shepard's made a lot of strides. I mean, Dave said it's been remarkable. I saw some video of Shepard moving around. Man, he was cutting on a dime. Like he looked almost like old Shep out there. It's crazy. I think that he you know, Dave's didn't rule out a preseason return. I think Shep's going to be ready for week one. It's my guess now. But the way I saw him move out there, like that is a guy who within a month or, you know, five weeks he even has can be out there. So that's really interesting because that's a huge addition in my opinion, just to get depth there. Just to get depth there, a veteran presence. And I believe he said it's day to day, essentially, which I was kind of taken aback by when he said that. I was like, oh, wow. And then they went yeah. into Nick Gates and they said they, they, they're not really 100% sure when he's going to be back. But the progress that he's made is remarkable. Yeah, really good news on both fronts. Like, Shepard and Gates have made remarkable progress. Both guys might be back sooner than any of us expected. Awesome. We need we need good news on the injury front. We're getting it right now. So definitely love to hear that. Shane also said they brought back Andrew Adams to safety in part because everyone who was in the building when Adams was here spoke so highly of him. So I think that played a role. So since we podcasted last, I've watched some Andrew Adams tape. I think this kid's going to make the roster. He had, he had some plays, and I put some of them up on Twitter if anybody wants to go and check them out, that were really, really impressive where he was you know reacting on a scissors concept to a corner route, and he basically baited the quarterback and just peeled off to get underneath the post route, come away with a really impressive interception. And I saw him used 
everywhere, dude. He was in the box basically as that Jabril Peppers type of linebacker and acted very, very physical in those situations. He blitzed several different times off the edge, in the A gap, in the B gap. Used uh, Todd Bowles used his ability to time the snap and disguise his blitz. And you know that's going to be leveraged here in Wink Martindale's scheme as well. I think Andrew Adams, man, unless he has a bad training camp, which I can't speak to right now, but from the film that I did see of him, I, I came away, you know, impressed for a guy who is, you know, a 29-year-old, I don't want to say journeyman safety, but a guy who isn't really highly regarded. You know, I think he could have a role on this team. I'm with you, Nick, because there is some hidden value in there in the sense that, you know, he come came from such a loaded depth chart there in Tampa. And I wonder, man, if he, especially with what you're talking about with the versatility to drop to play both roles and just the experience. And I, I also have felt like he's good, always been good at baiting quarterbacks, always been a right, a guy who just is in the right spot at the right time, which is like a weird skill. I don't really know what it is, how to, how to describe it, but it is somewhat of a skill in some sense. I don't think it's all luck based that when you're kind of just around the ball a lot. Um, especially from the safety position. So I actually would be curious if you think there's any chance he could really carve out a role and, and carve a bit into what Julian Love's doing right now as far as snap standpoint. Yeah, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I really appreciate Julian Love, and I think Julian Love will be the second safety heading into week one unless something unforeseen happens. But I still think there's going to be some defensive snaps for whoever that third and fourth safety is. I'm imagining one of those spots will go to Dane Belton. I think the other one could be Andrew Adams, and that's going to come at the expense of Yusef Corker and Trenton Thompson. So both of those players need to have excellent camps to kind of put themselves in a position to kick Adams out of the spot now that he's in the building. Yeah, it's almost like they've done similar thing at the safety position now that they've done with the offensive line. Yeah, it's not like the most uber-talented competition, but they've added a ton of competition, a ton of different guys who have different skill sets and are in a lot of ways intriguing. Like even Trenton Thompson, when we talked about him off pod like a few months ago, you're like, I like this guy's film. There's some stuff to like. I felt the same way about Yusuf Corker. So now they've got those two. They've got Andrew Adams in the mix. They've got Julian Love in the mix and then the obvious alpha there. David McKinney, there's more competition. It's kind of a lot like that O-line, just a ton of different guys that are going to compete day in and day out at practice, second team, third team, a little bit of first team, and that just breeds a better unit overall. So I, I just really I like what they've done. <laughs> I, I, I like what they're doing with this roster, man. With what they've had resources-wise to work with, I really do. I'm, I don't want to get too optimistic yet. I, trust me, I, I've been down that path. I thought they were going to somehow win 10 games last year. It's just remarkable, but... This does get, you know, you get a different feel. There's a lot of, and we're going to get into practice in a second, but there's a lot of good, positive momentum building. So let's get there. We'll start with the first. I want to start by just breaking down with you the first team offense that came out for the walkthrough. Jones, Barkley, Galladay, Tony, Robinson, which I loved to see. Wondell Robinson getting those reps mm -hmm. already. Bellinger, which I love to see. Two rookies right there. They're really throwing them into fire. Then Andrew Thomas, Shane Lemieux. Uh, Mark Lewinsky and Evan Neal. I didn't quite get, and then obviously uh, John Feliciano at center. So any surprises there? Any notes you, you have from that? No, nothing too surprising. I'm wondering if Sterling Shepard was fully healthy, if he would probably take the spot of Wandell Robinson. We heard Shane and Dable talk a little bit today about feeling out every position group and being like, do we want to add more veterans to this position? I think the tight end position was one position they brought up specifically. And that's kind of interesting because you have this rookie who just came off the pup getting the first team reps. I don't know if that speaks negatively about the Jordan Aikens of the world. And I'm not really sure what's going on with Ricky Seals Jones either. And if the 
if Shane and Dable actually do feel that way, does that lead them to Eric Ebron, which is something we kind of covered extensively on the last podcast. But having Wandell Robinson out there, I, I invited. I really think Wandell Robinson, we'll get into some of the plays he made today. He could have a big role on this team, and you know they have a plan for him because they spent a second-round pick on this guy, and it surprised a lot of people around the NFL, including me. So I, I really hope they can leverage this kid's skill set because he could be really exciting, especially playing with Kadarius Tony. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, with you on that, man. There's some exciting weapons here. Let's talk a little bit about the second and third team Giants offensive line just because there was a little bit of surprise for me there. So I'm trying to get your take on this. Devery Hamilton was the second team left tackle. Josh Azudu left guard. Jamil Douglas was the second team center. That surprised me. Marcus McKeithen, who ended up leaving practice, was the second team guard. Matt Gano, the second team right tackle. Then Roy Nuketa and Bikita, let's call him for now. The left tackle for the third team, Josh Rivas. Ben Bredesen, my boy, third team, center. But I do like seeing him at center. Max Garcia, third team uh, guard. And then Nikita was also playing third team right tackle. Anything to take away from there? You have the left tackle spot of the second team is probably the big one because we saw Josh yeah. Azudu fill those shoes during OTAs and minicamp. But maybe that speaks, and I don't really have anything on Debrie Hamilton, but maybe that speaks something to Debrie Hamilton. And Josh Azudu, we know about his versatility and, and what he can bring to the table. And I think the sky's the limit for someone like Azudu. But maybe the Giants view 
Azudu as the player that they want to focus at left guard unless there is no Andrew Thomas. And this is where it kind of does get interesting. Maybe they view Azudu as like, hey, that's going to be the left guard if Shane Lemieux falls flat on his face. But if Andrew Thomas is out of the picture, do you think the Giants look at Azudu and be like, okay, we're going to actually work him at tackle and that's the kind of direction we're going to go in and that would be at the expense of Debra Hamilton. I think it's kind of uh, interesting to kind of see the those two situations and what the Giants did in minicamp and what they're doing now. Or maybe Azudu just didn't impress them in minicamp at left tackle. I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's a great talking point because it is interesting to feel this out because, again, Parrot on the PUP, they don't really have that many options at tackle outside of the big two. So the fact that they're moving Azudu over there, at least to me early on, we'll see if it continues. It's day one. They could kick him back out to tackle in the next practice for all we know. Uh, there's no there's no telling if that happens. But what it tells me is they, they want to fast track this guard thing. I really think that's what it tells me. And I'm not just, I'm not saying that they're going to they're in a, any kind of rush to bench a Shane Lemieux type, but I'm sure they're in some kind of rush to see what they have in Azudu. And if he can hit the ground running with the second team and look really good in preseason, I think he's going to start to get some reps, man. I think he just offers them so much more upside at left guard than a Shane Lemieux type. No offense, Shane Lemieux. This is based on my pre-draft evaluation of Lemieux, not just leaning on what he did in his rookie season when he was arguably the worst or one of the five worst pass-protecting left guards in the NFL. I think he can improve from that. I really do. I think he can get a lot better than that. But I also think there are some physical limitations that were obvious in his draft profile, obvious on the film as a college player, obvious on the film as an NFL player. Me and you have both talked about this at length. And those limitations, I don't see as much with Josh Azudu from an athleticism standpoint. That's why the ceiling is so much higher with him at left guard. So I think that this tells me, look, they want to see what they have at him at the position he's ultimately going to play for them. Yeah, in a pinch, they'd they move him out to tackle maybe if they're really desperate, but they want to see what he has there. So I thought that was interesting. Ben Bredesen with the third team, don't love to see that, but Ben Bredesen at center, I do like to see. Um, and it's interesting, I thought, to see Jamil Douglas at center. What do you make of that? The second Trying to see what he can offer at center, giving him the second team reps, see what's there. Ben Bredesen is also is someone who is new to the center position, so give the second team reps to Jamil Douglas, see how he fares. Again, there's no hitting here, so how much are you really gleaning from the situation? Probably not as much as you would like. And have Ben Bredesen start on the third team, have it work his way up since he is new to playing the center position. I guess that's what I'm reading into it. Yeah. I mean, it's never a great sign to see <laughs> that, but this is the first day of training camp practice with no hitting. So let's, let's let, you know, let's let the reps pile up before we start making grand assumptions. Sure. Yeah. There's no reason to panic at all <laughs> just yet. Let's talk about Andrew Thomas, who after practice spoke a little bit about what they're asking him to do from an offensive line standpoint, because look, it's another new coach for these offensive linemen. Yeah. And they're, he's saying this new staff, we talked a little bit about this in OTAs, but this new staff is having them do less vertical pass sets, but more jump and 45 degree angle sets. That to me is interesting because the, the vertical pass sets some, is, a, is an aspect of his game that was plaguing him as a rookie. And he worked his butt off and fixed that aspect of his game. Now they're going to ask him to do something completely different in a sense with more jumps and 45, uh, you know, 45 sets. What are your thoughts on this uh, before I get to the next thing he said that was interesting to me? Well, he had a lot of struggles with those 45 sets. That's the one where yeah. you jump outside and you set more laterally vertical sets. You're basically setting to gain depth into the pocket to cut off the angles of wide rushers. On those 45 sets, he, he got beat inside a lot. He was getting beat inside on the vertical sets. But, I mean, we talked about this on a previous podcast. We believe the Giants are going to be a little bit more quick game oriented and they're going to build mm -hmm. in explosive plays 
as well. But when you're operating out of the quick game, you know, three step drop or just, you know, catch the shotgun, turn to one side, half field read type of stuff, right. just get the football out of your hand. You don't necessarily need the vertical set to do that. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point right there, Nick. And that's probably why they're teaching them to do more of this stuff, because it is I, I know we're going to bake in. We're going to get some more vertical shots than we've seen just because we had so few. But it is I think this offense will mostly be quick game, to be completely honest. A jump set is essentially like it's almost like a run blocking type of block. Like you're, you're kind of going at the right the defensive lineman or the edge rusher you're not necessarily waiting like being patient you're jumping them a little bit getting that initial contact on them it's a little bit more of a run look to it it's obviously still pass blocking you're not going to be uber aggressive in how you're going to attack but that's what dan means when he says jump set yep all right so that was interesting to me he also talked about the chemistry with shane lemieux i think that may be playing a big factor in shane lemieux potentially keeping this job rather than josh azudu jumping and forward and getting this quicker than we think as a rookie that chemistry that that thomas talked about it was built through otas they had a little bit of it last season especially during the training camp and, pre and preseason before lemieux's injury in week one or whenever that was it was a week one or week two it was one for lemieux right when he got hurt yes yeah yeah but he was hurt early in training camp too and i think that was part of the problem but hopefully now he's fully healthy and obviously they had a little bit of chemistry just dating back to the rookie season um that's a lot of chemistry so that could play a big factor here in Lemieux keeping this job. It could play a big factor. It's just so hard to to weigh in with these guys who we haven't seen in a very long time due to injury. And Shane Lemieux is one of those guys. Now, if he has drastically improved his game, that's all well and good. That's great. But players like him and Rodarius Williams, we haven't seen them in a while. So it's just hard to really know where they're at right now with their specific game. Best of luck to them, though. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk about some of the things that we saw from practice. Um, and again, neither me or Nick were at practice. Uh, we are, I'm, I'm actually, I just got in touch with Giants PR. I'm going to try to get out some practices now for, uh, in training camp, potentially some Fridays. It's basically the only day I have any chance of making, uh, <laughs> Nick is on the other side of the country. So he's, he's unlikely to though. Maybe when he's home for a little bit, he'll try to, but not an easy thing to do, but I'm hoping for the days I get to practice, I'll have the, I'll have the credentials like I've had in the past. So I'll be able to see maybe from a better angle, but. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with just going from the videos and what the beats are saying. Uh, speaking of the beats, Pat Traina had a little bit of a recap, talked about she liked what she saw today from Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes, and Kadarius Tony. Those were her standout players. Art Stapleton's standout player was Cordell Flott, who he said made two praiseworthy plays in coverage, PBUs, deflection, and traffic and red zone drills, and then high IQ play by shoving Robert Foster out of bounds while he was midair and he caught the ball. So, Love to see good stuff here from three of the four, three of the four of these players being corners. Absolutely. We need as many good cornerback reports coming out of training camp because it's the position that I'm probably most worried about. I don't, probably don't want to, I don't want to speak for you, Dan, but I would imagine it's the position you're most worried about as well. With Aaron Robinson, we can get into the Kadarius Tony play right now. Kadarius Tony caught a touchdown over him, but Aaron Robinson was in pretty damn good position there and he was hand fighting with Kadarius Tony the entire time all the way to the ground and almost forced an incompletion but holy crap what a catch by Kadarius Tony that was and pretty solid throw by Daniel Jones as well yeah we can talk about that play now we'll get into a bunch of plays and then we'll kind of circle back to some other things that are not play related but yeah that plays good stuff because look the Giants and Daniel Jones have struggled with ball placement on those fit on those fades those those stop fades those end zone back shoulder type plays I don't love the play call in general, but it can work if you do it sometimes. And, and like you said, you can see on this, and we'll get to this later when we talk about his interception because I have a few notes on that that I want to get your take on. But 
he does a great job here, Jones, of snapping his shoulder, snapping his body around to make this throw. It's a, it's a pre-snap decision. Like he understands based on the coverage that he's going to get that one-on-one back shoulder opportunity. And he puts it in a pretty good spot. He puts it on the back shoulder with a good height. But this play is all Kadarius Tony for me because it just shows an insane different level of athleticism. Like I know Kenny Galladay has been known to be this kind of contested catch back shoulder fade type of guy, but I think more so he's good at plucking away from his body. This wasn't even really away from his body. It just required such an incredible adjustment on the back shoulder. And to make that catch and then get those two feet in that Tony did, he's not often talked about like this. Every time we've talked about Tony's special ability, it's his ability to stop and start on a dime and what that can mean for his route running and his ability to create separation, and then also his explosiveness and ability after the catch. Well, guess what? He just displayed a whole different kind of trait, a next-level athleticism type of trait, the ability to adjust in the air and make that kind of back shoulder catch there. And look, if he has that trait too, and that could be something you just haven't seen a lot of, wasn't used a lot like that of Florida or with the Giants last year. But man, every time I see new traits with Tony, every time I see Tony out there, He's a different level athlete. He's a different level player. Even then, Kenny Galladay, who I loved in, from his tape in Detroit, but I loved him in a specific way that kind of requires a specific type of quarterback that I don't really feel like the Giants have right now. Tony doesn't, you don't, Tony is quarterback independent in my mind. He's just a next level freak athlete. And if he has this part of his game, if he's adding this to his repertoire, the ability to make these adjustments in the air, the sky is the limit for this kid. I think he can be the wide receiver one on this team. Height is not an issue. Yeah, I'm not worried about the height. This this kid, and I've said it before, he has Pro Bowl level talent. It just needs to be harnessed. He needs to put his head down to the grindstone and be fully dialed in, which it seems like he is right now, and he has to stay healthy. That's the most important thing. And on this one play, it was the fade ball, which we don't love to see. But again, it's good to keep this in perspective. This was a practice focusing on red zone type of drills. So you're going to go through a lot of plays that you think you're going to use in red zone. And if you don't like some of these plays, then you could just scrap them. You can never lose, yeah. you can never use them. So it's not that big of a deal. I'll just allow them to do a multitude of different things. And that's what the Giants did. And on this fade route, Kadarius Tony doesn't profile as the best fade type of receiver. Aaron Robinson was all over this play. And it was placed to the outside back shoulder of Kadarius Tony. And he just makes a miraculous concentration catch, somehow gets his feet in bounds. I'm not going to sit here and say Aaron Robinson did a terrible job. I just think it was just a phenomenal pitch and catch from Jones and Tony. Yeah, agreed with you. But even saying that, it's a good throw from Jones because we've seen him struggle yeah. to even get that kind of ball placement while making those attempts. So just to get the, I would say, an above average adequate type throw out of that is important and it's good. I like the decisiveness on it. He made the pre-snap read, snapped the shoulders around, threw the ball. Pretty good velo on it, I thought. Pretty good uh, uh, trajectory on it. Those are things that I'm looking out for, especially with a receiver like like Tony. You don't really want to throw too far away from his frame. So I thought it was good ball placement, good velo on that throw. Very good stuff right there. And like you said, man, look, after practice, Jones talked about how locked in Tony was. He doesn't get credit for this. There weren't any flop stories about it. The whole media ran with the opposite side of this because he wasn't there for the first couple voluntary days. But it seems like he's locked in, man. It seems like he's fully healthy. It looked like he's in incredible shape. And that's something Jordan Ronan did an article about. He talked with his trainer, and his trainer raved about the work he put in this offseason, Tony, the shape he's in. There's no telling. Like, there's no reason to say that's not the case. This this narrative that people have run with, oh, Tony's not a hard worker. Oh, Tony's not all bought in. It's not really based on too much in reality. It's not based on too much evidence or supporting facts or anything like that. It's just like one thing that he wasn't there for. Um, the beginning of voluntary stuff that last year, some people thought that he wasn't fully bought in. 
guess what? I don't blame him for not fully buying into this Joe Judge style and this Joe Judge way. Players don't want to be a part of this. Millennium, <laughs> millennials don't want to be a part of that. Like, you can come into the Patriots and it's a different mindset because they've won so much. But I don't even think the Patriots run what Joe Judge ran. Like, Bill Belichick, I have never heard any evidence of him doing the type of stuff that Joe Judge did. So, ultimately, that was bad for everyone, and I'm totally fine with scrapping any report of Tony not buying in last year. Yeah, as long as he's fully bought in right now, uh, the sky's the limit for Kadarius Tony if he's healthy. Like, I'm very excited about what he can offer in this offense. And we're starting to see it. And this is just the first day of training camp. So let's just hope he <laughs> continues to maintain that good health, that good bill of health. Yeah, you're right, Nick. And you nailed that one. So let's move on to the next play that stood out to me. We already talked about the, the Barkley one, so we can move past that. Let's talk about, before we get to the bad, obviously, let's talk about Wandale, um, man. The Wandale touchdown, yeah. Because for yeah. me, I like that play a lot. I don't really think it was anything kind of spectacular from the receiver or the quarterback, but I do think here what's important is, one, the play call. I really like utilizing the corners in the red zone. And two, I've seen Daniel Jones throw this ball really well since his rookie season. He throws the corner end zone, uh, red zone ball really well. He's made a lot of good throws to different receivers over the course of his career. Here was a good one to Wandale Robinson. What were your thoughts on this play, this play call, and, and kind of what it means moving forward? So I actually thought this was a very good throw by Daniel Jones. It's layered over the top of Wondell Robinson's shoulder. There's no way that Xavier McKinney can make a play on this football. That's just that's a well-placed football by Daniel Jones with good touch. And I like the play call because it's, it's hard to see from the angles that, that you get on Twitter. But if you look at where Wondell Robinson, Giants videos put this up, S, at SNY Giants, if you look at where Wondell Robinson is, he's about midway into the end zone, so about five yards into the end zone. At about the one-yard line, there's about two receivers sitting there, and there's about four Giants defenders huddled around those two receivers. And then it's just Wondell Robinson against Xavier McKinney in what looks like man coverage, but it could have been zone that turned into man coverage. So I think what, the, what Brian Dable did on this play and Mike Kafka did on this play was run basically a high-low type concepts here. I don't know what those other two routes were, but they were there to suck those defenders up to open up this corner route for Wondell Robinson, who was going up against a defender who was in inside leverage. So all Daniel Jones has to do is put that ball outside and over the shoulder, and it's going to go for six if Wondell Robinson gets his feet in bounds, and that's exactly what happened here. Yeah, you know what? I don't want to take anything away. Well, I, I guess I just took it for granted because Jones has made this throw throughout his career. I've always felt like there's one the Golden Tate that stood out to me. That was one I was mm -hmm. thinking of. I've always felt like Jones can make this throw really well. He changes. This is what I mean by arm talent. What you just said, that ability to layer the ball over the top and then into the right spot for the receiver. So it has to be, it's really a tough throw to a tougher throw than I guess I was giving it credit for. Or maybe I was just taking it for granted because he's done it well his whole career. But this is why I want them to lean more on these types of throws in the red zone. Jones can throw this ball with really good trajectory, and that's arm talent right there, and really, and obviously really good touch. Touch is part of it. Trajectory and touch there. Both things working in his favor on this type of throw. Use it more. Utilize it more in the red zone. Obviously good play by Robinson as well. Just kind of create that kind of little bit of separation and secure the catch. But yeah, this one's on the throw. It's something Jones has done well, but it's it's an important ability to make, you know, to have that ability to change the trajectory and, 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 and you know, show off that kind of arm talent, flash it a little bit in the red zone. It's great because Jones needs solutions in the red zone. We'll get to a little bit of why later. Both of these touchdowns that we went over had what? A corner route. Now, I don't know where Wondell Robinson was aligned pre-snap, but I'm willing to bet that he was either at the number two in a three-by-one or the number three in a three-by-one set. 
just depending on those two receivers that were or just looking at those two receivers who were out in the flat sucking up those defenders. So we might see a lot of these smash type concepts and a lot of these high low type concepts with a corner route in the back of the end zone to to put defenders into conflict. So that's something that maybe we can look forward to. We saw two plays we went over. They both had corner routes. Love to hear that, Nick. One, love the corner route. Two, it's great for Jones. Three, love the idea of high-low because that's something Jones did a great job of last year, the half-field, or not last year, rookie season, the half-field high-low reads. And then also, like you said, smash concept, man. That was a really another great staple of the Jones days back with Shermer and just something we just didn't see a lot of, enough of with Jason Garrett for whatever reason. But bring it back, lean on it. And this is goes right into what Dabes and Jones have been saying from the start, man. They met, they talked about what he likes to do, and Dabes has incorporated that, Dabes and Kafka, they've incorporated that into the offense. That's what you got to do, man. Lean on what these guys do best. Build your system around the talent. Don't try to fit the talent to the system. That's what the good coaches do. It's not what Garrett did. It is what Dabes is doing. And, I, and, and personally for me, Look, it's, it's that that alone could help this offense to go from like 20, the, the 27th to 32nd range it's been into like at least into the lower 20s, maybe even into the teens. We'll see. I'm, I'm my my goal for this Giants offense is get into the teens this year. That, that That's what I that, and I'm not just saying in total offense ranking, just in our mindset of rank the Giants offense versus the rest of the NFL. Are they one of the 20 best? I'm hoping they will be this year. I think they can be this year. Um, Some other things we've seen, a lot of creativity, a lot of red zone motion uh an overall motion within the offense Wondell Robinson I love to hear this lining up in the backfield for some snaps motioning in and out of the backfield that's something he did at Nebraska before he transferred over to Kentucky a little bit of Kentucky mostly at Nebraska he can serve as like a surprise back and a surprise backfield mate for Daniel Jones at times yeah absolutely he has the experience doing it I think dating back to his high school days as well and on the play where Kenny Galladay dropped the touchdown if you watch that play he motions out of the backfield to the field side and he runs a kind of like a little bubble type of screen but Daniel Jones didn't read to that direction but if you look at the play you can see it on Twitter I think uh, Bobby Skinner put it up Wanda Robinson runs that bubble Kadarius Tony goes to block but it's an RPO so there's so many different options built into this play because you have Daniel Jones catch the ball he goes into the play fake or the RPO it looks like an RPO to me because it definitely seems like the Giants are run blocking a little bit and what Jones saw was the safety drop down to the box that confirmed to Jones post snap hey I have a one-on-one with Aaron Robinson against Kenny Galladay so he fires the football to Kenny Galladay puts the ball in a really good spot should have been caught but Kenny Galladay just let it slip through his fingers. It happens. I'm not going to read too far into that. But if you just look at the construction of that play, there are many different options built into it at specific points of that. You have it to the field side. You have one to the boundary side if that safety comes down, which is what happened. Or you could just hand the football off and try to have Saquon pick up a couple yards for that touchdown. Yep, you nailed it. One, great option, great design, multiple options. Two, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm not beating up Kenny Galladay for that. He took a lot of heat for that on it's Giants Twitter. Like every single play is going to be an overreaction, no matter if it's good or bad. Like these even matter. Like these are literally walkthrough plays. Essentially, these are shorts and shells type stuff. It's it's very you know we want to talk about it. It's important. I care a lot more about the scheme though, personally, and the play calling than the execution right now. But I'll say this: like he makes a drop there. That's not something that I'm I'm looking at. Like oh my God, it's Kenny Galladay's dropping balls again. It's, it's, it's one pass that went hard at him and, and he didn't adjust in time, didn't flip his hips around in time and didn't get to secure the catch. Like That's nothing to me personally. And I know you feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's wrap up with two things here. First, a good thing. Blake Martinez, 
looking really good out there for someone coming off that injury, man. And he was happy. He got the news yesterday. He said he was good to practice. He said they're going to ramp him up, but it, it was felt really good. He said to rock off the, uh, to knock off the rust today. And that was his first practice in over 10 months. And I, I watched some of the clips of him moving out there. He moved well. Yeah, dude, a healthy Blake Martinez can make a huge difference on this team. We expect Wink Martindale to really secure this run defense. We expect a good run defense, but without a healthy Blake Martinez, I even think the scheme that Wink Martindale runs, it would make it a little bit difficult with the Giants personnel currently constructed at linebacker for it to be effective without Blake Martinez. So we, we really hope that he can be out there and be healthy. 100%. All right. Let's go to the final play here. We'll wrap up with this. The interception by Darnay Holmes. Obviously not a great play for the Giants offense here. I thought two things here, Nick. One, the key to this, the component is this. Less of a knock to me on Jones here. More of just amazing play by Darnay Holmes. Like He read it perfectly, jumped it, and intercepted the pass. But I'm not going to sit here and completely alleviate the blame from Jones here because there's something I don't there's things I don't like about this one it's a similar interception to the ones that really plagued Jones last year the inability to read that underneath coverage and that underneath defender at the second level but two as I watched this play it reminded me of sometimes a play that the Giants used to run in the red zone with Eli Manning on this play Eli Manning would catch the snap and his helmet and his eyes would directly move to the left and the only time it moved to the right is when he snapped back his shoulders and his entire body, that's when the helmet moved with him. And he's already then starting his throwing motion and ripping that ball to that. And typically it would be the one that stood out was a touchdown uh, to Larry Donnell in the red zone on more of like a scene play. And this was obviously like a quick out from the slot, different type of play call. But if you watch it from the snap, Jones kind of catches the ball not too cleanly, but immediately flips his hips and his helmet and towards the quick out. And then he gathers the football, takes a little while to get into that throw. You could kind of easily just read that if you're an underneath defender and make the decision to do what Darnay Holmes did, which is jump that route underneath it because Jones is taking a while to get there with the throw, but at the same time has already shown that he's making the throw there because he's completely flipped his hips and moved his helmet and body toward that quick out. So it's just too slow for me with Jones. I've seen this issue with Jones a lot where he kind of locks on with his helmet in the direction he's going to throw. But to actually make the throw, it's not quick enough. It's not getting out fast enough, and it's telegraphed. And a play like that can be made by a defender who's playing underneath against the Giants. So I I think there's two things going on here. Great play by Holmes, but also this is a similar issue I've seen with Jones. He needs to do a better job of, of holding the coverage by using his helmet and using his eyes to look in the other direction before snapping back and making that throw which is something he does well to manipulate single high safeties at yes. times, right? But in this situation, you're spot on, Dan, and you explain that very well because that's exactly what I thought when I watched this play. If you see Saquon Barkley going into that break, Daniel Jones isn't even rearing back. He doesn't start rearing back until you see 26, like 2-6 come up on your screen and then Saquon Barkley's head is turned to Daniel Jones. Saquon Barkley's taken like three steps before Daniel Jones rips that football. It's very easy for Darnay Holmes to undercut this. Now, again, it's not the end of the world. This is training camp. You're going to make mistakes. And I see what Daniel Jones is, is, is going through in his mind because you have the defensive construction right here with the safety who's on like the, the goal line, essentially. You have two receivers to the field side. Darius Slayton just kind of runs the fade to take a Dory Jackson out of the play. And you have Saquon Barkley in the slot with Matt Breida in the backfield kind of leaking out off of not really a play action, but some sort of like kind of handoff fake. 
Saquon Barkley has a lot of space to operate because Darius Slayton's taken Adoree Jackson out. So basically that safety, he has vertical space against, and he has horizontal space against Darnay Holmes. If Daniel Jones just rips this football right as Saquon Barkley enters that break, then this is going to be a touchdown. But he holds on to it just a tick too long, and that allows Darnay Holmes to kind of work underneath it and come away with the interception. And I wouldn't think this is a big deal, and I don't think it's a big deal, but you're right. We have seen this before in his career, specifically in the red zone. Now, it's a totally different system, but still, the process just needs to be a little bit quicker. Not the end of the world, but we've seen it before, and it's something that he needs to work on this season. Yeah, so I think you described that really well, Nick, in the sense that when it's more of the full field stuff, the between the 20 stuff, he actually does a really pretty advanced job, not fully advanced, but pretty advanced job of manipulating the safeties with his helmet, with his eyes, with like, especially like you said, when he gets those single high looks, he loves those. Whenever he gets those single high looks, I feel like he gets a little excited because he knows he can take a vertical shot. But in the red zone, this has been an issue for him. It, it, it's all anticipation, man. Like the best quarterbacks, like you said, it doesn't take those, those receivers on the play three steps and to turn it around fully to get the ball to them. The ball is out before they're out of their break. And you need to be able to anticipate in the red zone. You need to be able to make those anticipatory throws. There's just no space. There's no time. And there's no option to take time. So this has been an issue for Jones' entire career in my mind. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks. If you really look at this objectively, he's been a pretty bad quarterback in this. So I don't want to say it's not the end of the world. To me, it's like this stuff needs to get better. Will it get better? I don't know. I can't sit here and say he's definitely going to get better at this. And if it doesn't get better, it's really limiting to the offense. Because red zone is where mostly the game is won and lost these days. Like, yes, we're looking for explosive plays. We don't want to have to get to the red zone where you could potentially bog down and be forced to kick a field goal. That's all obvious stuff. But ultimately, the explosive plays aren't early and often in every offense. Even the Chiefs, even the Bills, like, they're making explosive plays here and there. It's not the entire thing. When they get in the red zone, they convert in the red zone. You need to be able to convert there. So I don't. it's not the end of the world because it's just one random play in, a, in a shorts and shells. But it's something that we've seen. It's a steady drumbeat on the opposite side of this, where Daniel Jones has really struggled to throw in with anticipation in the red zone. You just don't ha- simply you don't have time to do anything else. Like there's no, there's such a small margin for error there. Um, so again, we'll hope to see it improve. I'm not sold this can improve at this stage of his career. We will find out. I remember one touchdown pass he had against Evan Ingram last season or, or for Evan Ingram against Washington. Yeah, and he would look that safety off real quick and just fired up the seam and hit Evan Ingram in stride for a touchdown in the back of the end zone. But then you look Tampa 2020. Daniel Jones leads a drive to score, and they need the two-point conversion. He has Deion Lewis in the flat for almost a full freaking second before he gets rid of the football. Like He held on to that thing way too long, and that ultimately was one of the primary reasons that the Giants lost that football game, or at least it didn't allow them to continue to compete. That and Daniel Jones just probably had one of the worst games of his career. But it's little plays like that in these high-leverage situations where he's a tick too slow way too often. So I'm hoping that can be rectified with better coaching and better process. Yeah, just thinking of that play, he burped the baby on that one. He's He took an extra hitch. And this one I was the other thing I, I mentioned that I saw in the, that I wanted to mention that I saw in the film. He took an unnecessary hitch before making this throw. Like there's just too, It's just a little too slow and... And ultimately, it's like he's waiting for it's almost like he's waiting, watching, hoping, expecting, will these guys get open? You don't need to. You need to throw the anticipation. It's not it's a matter of you should know if they're going to get open. Like I remember a play he had against the Chiefs in the red zone, an easy touchdown. Um, 
because he anticipated it by it wasn't even really anticipation. He just read pre-snap that the, the Chiefs linebacker was aligned in a bad spot, in a poor spot, and that quick out to Ingram was going to – I think it was Ingram or one of the tight ends. Yeah, it was yeah. Ingram and it was Sorensen. It was their safety Sorensen. who yep. was totally cooked, by the way. So I was like, ah, Evan yeah. Ingram's going to burn this guy. And Evan he liked the matchup, good. and he liked how poorly he was aligned pre-snap, and he just got rid of it quick on that. He needs to be able to just get rid of it quick all the time. It can't just be when he sees something he likes pre-snap. It has to be, look – I'm in the red zone. I don't have time. I simply do not have time to go through a full kind of hitch process, get get going, use, you know, flip my head around. It just has to be out. That's what it was on that touchdown to Tony, by the way. The back shoulder, that's what I, one thing I really liked. He flipped those hips around and ripped that ball. Yeah. Now, with this play that we're going over where the, he threw the interception to Darnay Holmes, I'm wondering if it's a choice route built in for Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones maybe isn't comfortable enough to read the defense and then make the decision based on the defense that he sees. And maybe he's not on the same page with Saquon Barkley. I'm just trying to kind of play devil's advocate here as to why he's so slow because is a little bit uh, just inexplicable as to why he's waiting and waiting for Saquon Barkley to be in the break. If he knew Saquon Barkley was running that route, you see the coverage is wide open. You should have yeah. got rid of the football a little bit before that. So maybe that, maybe that's the case, you know, that's a good point, Nick. And if that's the, you know, we'll never get to know that type of thing. Even if we were there practice, he'll never answer that type of question. No one will. The coaches, the quarterback, the receiver, whatever, but it's just something that could be an excuse, not an excuse, but a reason for why, you know, he was, he was hesitant there. But if that's the case, I really think for a quarterback like Daniel Jones, you probably want to limit those, those types of option routes in the red zone because you just can't afford to, to use them with him in my mind right now, at least what he's put on film so far. That could change. Obviously, things can get better, blah, blah, blah. But right now, make it easy for him, right? Like, just, and, and, he, and he's good when, he, when things are predefined for him pre-snap, especially within the red zone. So that, that's hopefully what they can do. And they've done it, like you said, they've done a great job of that. The red zone play to Wando was a great example. The red zone play to Barkley earlier with the, with the, when he ran uh, like the, the, the Texas route, the option route. Another great example of making things easy for the quarterback in the red zone. Make it so, like Cassell said on his podcast, Jones can be decisive. That's all we. That's all we need from Jones. Just be more, a little bit more decisive. Because um, look, if you're going to flip your head around, your hips around early on, like he did on that play, then the ball has to be out basically right away. Like you have to already be in your motion to get it out. They're not, you've already defined for the defense what you're doing. So is what it is. It's fine. It's one play. We'll end it on that note, Nick. This was an interesting, entertaining first practice, considering it was basically just like a walk through shorts and shells. We got all this out of it. It was fun. I'm excited for the next day of this. Anything else before we wrap things up? Nah, man. Excited. We'll, we'll be here a lot, ladies and gentlemen, so please tune in. Yep. Thank you so much for tuning in, by the way. You really are the lifeblood. You're the reason we can do this. So thanks to everyone. We've seen a few more reviews roll in on iTunes. Thank you for everyone doing that. That helps us move up the out. Otherwise, you know, have a great rest of your week, or I should just say day at this point, because we're coming in hot and early and often on this thing. So we'll talk to you soon. Have a great one. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 